Kimberly Brooks is one of my favorite painters based in Santa Monica, California. She runs a studio there and shows at a variety of different galleries in the Los Angeles area and around the world. I asked her about her painting style and I asked her about some books coming out. She's actually authored a book on painting and I was curious to find out more about that. So enjoy this conversation between myself and painter Kimberly Brooks. This is White Hot Magazine, the Art World podcast. I'm your host, Noah Becker. Visit us on the web at whitehotmagazine.com and on all social media platforms. So as far as your um, painting goes, I was looking at some images of uh, landscapes and you're working in kind of a similar way to what I'm interested in, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to try and talk to you. Can you tell me why you're drawn to like this sort of, I don't know, figure landscape and still life kind of all at the same time style? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I'm not sure if many painters go this, through this evolution because I know a lot of painters, maybe they start with landscape, but I never did. I started with people and my first project was to paint a hundred nudes. Like that's, that was my first, that was medical school for me. You know, like I figured it's the most challenging thing. And it wasn't until almost 10 years into my career that I started painting landscapes. I mean, like just to go to really investigate it as a subject. And, um, you know, I found it at, at once to be kind of like another version of a portrait, you know, because, you know, mm -hmm. th that the nudes eventually led to portraiture, but also that it's, that it says so much about the painter, what they choose to paint, you know, and how they choose to render the painting. And also, painting land, nature is so beautiful and awe-inspiring and such a source of inspiration to me on every level that it's kind of cocky to try to paint it. You know, I mean, it's kind of, you know, you have to really gird yourself to try to come with another take on something so majestic. Mm. And um, I mean, I just, uh, so my foyer into landscape really was this show that I had called Technicolor Summer. And it's interesting because I just got back from Yosemite where a lot of the images that I got, that I used for that show was from there from like 15 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, just to drink in the sights of Yosemite and, to, and the, you know, and the trying to capture how it's a, how it's so much like a temple, you know? Mm. So, um, but so landscape by itself is not quite enough for me. So I like to always incorporate some kind of a structure or some kind of man-made object or some kind of figure that's partially there and partially obscured just to orient it. Not just, yeah, in every way. So like I, I, all of my landscapes tend to have either people or even if it's a telephone wire or, you know, a piece of a 
a fountain. That's like, that's important to me. Usually I need that element of humanity incorporated in it to understand it better. Right. And some of them are kind of derivative of, or inspired by, or reworkings of old master paintings, or there's little kind of quotes from different bits of um, cloth, or I don't know, how can you explain that sort of aspect? Well, you're touching on something super uh, integral in my work is that I went through a period after my father died where I was, that's, that's when I had this show called I Notice People Disappear. And that's when I almost right at that time pretty much stopped painting people because I used to only paint people. And so I was sort of, I used to call that in my mind, I would say, I've got to di disappear this figure. So I would paint the landscape with figures or even in an interior, and then I would disappear the figures. So I would then, you know, use the, literally use the paint that I use to make the surroundings and start to obscure the figure so that I wasn't being so literal. And in order to kind of break the narrative that was overly obvious, because I wanted to kind of open the window, the, the aperture, you know, in the viewer's mind too. And um, when I was doing that, I realized, you know, I really don't know, like what, who, who are these ghostly people? And it just started make, it made me realize that I just didn't know anything about my own history because uh, like many people in America, you know, my parents or my grandparents came, you know, from Russia and, you know, and I don't know anything about the family before then. So my my family in America is small. It's like a fist because everybody pretty much was wiped out in the Holocaust. Um, or, you know, they came, from, you know, I mean, I'm just like a typical, I suppose, you know, American in that way. Like there was some reason why people fled and then they came here. So, um, and so I started to invent kind of a historical fiction in my mind about the a past that I didn't know anything about. And I started to paint that. And so I started to tell stories and write stories to create almost like a scene so that the, the an exhibition would become almost like a storyboard for an event that happened in the past that I was trying to tune into. So it became kind of like this accessing something that I didn't know existed in order to to backfill what I didn't know about my, my, myself. Ultimately. So almost a way of kind of um, escaping from naturalism. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, I mean, I also like the way there's, um, I liked making my landscapes idealist too, because I knew that that's what I was doing as well. So I was just leaning into that sense of idealism because I knew that it was ultimately this romantic historical idea of what could have been happening with castles. And, you know, I mean, I went through a phase, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's kind of, there's one 
Velasquez landscape. I don't know if you've ever seen it. You know, D Diego Velasquez, the, of course. the Spanish painter. There's, there's one painting of his that could be considered a landscape. And then, if, you know, and then El Greco, even though there's a lot of figures in it, there's some nice El Greco uh, figureless landscapes um, that are kind of historical moments that I think kind of relate to the sort of historical line that your work kind of connects in with. Like if we were publishing a monograph, we could put in some little El Greco reproductions, maybe. Of you're, you're so right on. I love, mm -hmm. I love El Greco. I love how he's very juicy. You know, I love his skies. I yeah. mean, I have, sometimes I can see a, a big abstract painting and just think, oh, that reminds me of that sky and from that right. El Greco. But, I mean, obviously yeah. your work isn't that dark. His work is very kind of like. Of course. I mean, dark. the thing about Velasquez, which I think was so interesting is, in those days, painting was such a filmic, you know, it was such a production. And he was one of the first ones to say, cause you know, they would paint these, they would, they would light people a certain way. And, you know, one person would stay still and hold like that. And another one would go like that. And then, um, and then they would paint the lands, you know, they would it, almost like you would in a movie set, they would literally drop a backdrop in of what those, mm painters are and when, once you think of it this way and you go and you're standing in front of a one a painting from that era you see how the light source is so fake for the background that it is like where's the sun you know where's yeah. where is that hot light coming from and yeah. Velasquez was one of the first ones to say you know what screw the landscape for now and let's do it just with the dramatic people in their you know moments I just always think of Velasquez kind of saying, you know, this is good without that landscape too. You know, we, we just mm -hmm. have, we have the poetry of the trees and the branches and the composition without, without it. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's kind of, it's that uh, magic realism of mm -hmm. Velasquez that kind of ties in with post-impressionism and, and that whole thing mm -hmm. where the brush stroke is fairly gestural, but kind of, creates a realism and a reality that goes beyond its um, technique yeah. or beyond what it looks like. Um, because if you look at those Velasquez paintings, they're very painterly, but then, you know, I mean, that's kind of a stereotypical thing like, oh, it looks like so painterly up close and then you stand back and everything comes together or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, I was just reading a news article about that they cleaned up one of the murals in Pompeii. Did you see this? It was like in the Daily Mail or something like that. And yeah. it's this gorgeous landscape. This is from, you know, thousands of years ago. And I thought, wow, you know, can you imagine what it must, must have been like then to, you know, I mean, this must have been a fresco or something mm -hmm. like that. But um, no, I'm, I, the, the the funny thing is 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 landscape was like something that I didn't see coming for me. How much I love you know it, it surprises me even now, and I know that now right now there's this in the art world I'm noticing that there's like a lot of surrealism right now because it, it kind of and then people are back right now. I mean it's just that that's might a, be my it could be my fault. Yeah, your your work actually the way that you incorporate people and landscape you're you you would you could say you are a surrealist wouldn't you somewhat 
I'm Somewhat. not a surrealist, but my, there are sur aspects of surrealism in the work. But some, I, I was just referring to the point that like, you go along and you do your work and then you start to see that the art world or the our art is kind of reminding you of yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you go, oh, wait a minute, maybe I'm influential. And I think your work <laughs> is kind of, like, in a way, your work kept recurring to me as well. I was like, kind of, you know, I only talk to people that kind of put a light bulb on in my head at a certain point. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was looking at your work over the last number of years. I think it was Daniel Maidman did a, an article about you or something like that mm -hmm. for White Hot Magazine. And it was like the light bulb went on at a certain point. And I was like, oh, yeah. That's really cool. Well, we I think our I think our work is our is cousins for sure. Cousins, actually. right? Yeah, I mean, right. like they're, they're we 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 we're on, you know, you know how it is. I I kind of see painters as sort of walking down different paths, and our paths are definitely interlinked. I would say, right. yeah. But there's also like this really interesting moment happening now amongst the people that have turned to landscape that I know just sort of painters that I that I'm friends with like Annie Lappin and Emma Webster and you know just sort of um it's interesting to watch uh, the group of painters that are painting today kind of bump against the wall of landscape and there, there was this period where everybody was kind of hanging and dangling on the side of the cliff of realism into the abyss of mm. abstraction. And then a lot of them are climbing back up over that cliff and getting really tight again. You know, I mean, it's kind of interesting or the monochromatic phase that people go through. I mean, it's, it's, and I see it in my own work, you know, I mean, right now I'm doing a new series of abstraction. It's my first, uh, series of abstraction and it's for um a book that i have coming out in a couple months it's, it's called the new oil painting i wanted to capture the idea of paint for the cover of this book because the publisher was was said oh well why don't we take one of your landscapes and crop it and you know or do a piece of it and i was like no you can't do a book about oil painting with a landscape on it it's against the law because every mm. book about oil painting has a landscape on it like right you know like i this has to be better than that this has to be mm. bigger and deeper than that it has to be more abstract and so i was i wanted to create the painter a painterly experience of Joseph, I mean, of um, Joseph Albert, you know, like, even though it's more, his is more graphical, but just, just simple strips of color, but just with mm -hmm. strokes, you know, right. but I wanted it to have the sensuality of Howard Hodgkin. So mm -hmm. I've been in this mindset and I've, my studio just started to fill with these little abstract maquettes of these petrified strokes on an infinity of color. So it still looks like a landscape, but mm -hmm. it's more metaphorical, almost mm -hmm. like a, you know, do you know Wayne White's work? The, mm -hmm. He's the landscape artist that does those hilarious, pithy expressions off in the distance, like yeah. good looking people having fun without you, or, you know, right. he's, 
So it would be like that, but with like a stroke in it. Although mine are way less complicated because I think he actually uses landscapes that are pre-painted. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty mm. sure he uses landscapes that he finds in flea markets and then he paints the words on right. them. It kind of reminds me of Peter Schuff. Yeah, yeah. Early Peter Schuff. Yeah, it's but also, also Ed Ruscha, you know? That as well. Yeah. 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 And so, um, but I, so I've, I've always felt like I was an abstract painter, but I just wasn't finished on that road yet. Mm. You know, I always felt like I'm just on my way to abstraction. Mm -hmm. And and, yeah, I have a friend of mine who's a painter named Liat Yosifor. Do you know her work? Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. And she said to she was she's Israeli and she says with this accent, Mm -hmm. come on, Kimberly, we're waiting for you. You know, because she she used to Mm -hmm. be figurative and then she did. She's like, come to the other side. We're waiting for Mm -hmm. you. So is plain air important to you or is it more from photographs and old master paintings that you're kind of getting an inspiration or is it something from your imagination? It's, it's a combination of imagination and old master tapestry or not old master Mm -hmm. paintings. It's tapestries. And also I like to look at the way I like to look at the art that is used to surround paintings like something that might be carved or an illustrated manuscript. Like I get, a, I have a bizarre image library. I, 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 have, I have a huge, I think my, one of my greatest sorts, sources of inspiration is the weird things I find on eBay. Mm. So I do these searches for certain kinds of books and I've, I've like, and this is throughout my career. I've just found old photographs or where you look, you look up obscure things and you find the oldest, you know, these old things and then you, they come in the mail and you're like, this is incredible. (laughs) Are you um, a painter from the very beginning or were you doing something else before you got into painting? I was a painter from the very beginning. I mean, I, I remember the first time I knew I was going to be a painter. I was I mean, I was always that kid who was always, I mean, this is such an old story, right? Does everybody say this? Like I was always the mm-hmm. drawing painting kid. Right. And, um, and, but my father was a surgeon, Leonard Schlein, and he wrote a book called Art and Physics. But before he wrote that book, he, he was, he was reading all about the new physics and he was, we were, um, he took me to New York and we were standing in front of Casimir Malevich's white on white. And, and I was like, you got to explain this painting to me, dad, you know, like, tell me how this is art exactly. But I just knew I said, Oh, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And the interesting thing is that he said that his, his book, Art and Physics, which I helped edit, was the notion, captured the notion that ideas and, uh, excuse me, artists and scientists say the same thing, but with different languages, and that both became inscrutable at about the same time, you know? So, you know, how can a ray of light be, how could it be a particle in a wave and, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, 
So yeah, I was always, I was, I always felt like, you know, I was supposed to be a doctor because, you know, you can be anything mm. you want as long as you're a surgeon was like a big theme in the family, mm. you know, but, um, mm. but so I became an English major because mm. I felt like, you know, and so, which was, uh, it's actually maybe an incredible bachelor's degree to get to become a painter because you're just painting images in your mind the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, reading, when you're reading that much, you're just sort of literally picturing things. Right. Narrative, you know, story. And so when you actually learn to paint and you apply it, you're just, we're storytellers Mm. in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Right. You're especially a storyteller. You must have read a lot. Um, I read a book about a guy who was trapped in a rubber raft in the ocean other than that i read a lot about art but i'm not a big fiction reader Mm. and uh, i read some i'm into certain kinds of poetry like rimbo rimbo oh yeah um (laughs) you know what can i say that's my my best friend uh what i want to tell you about my book Okay, tell me about your book. Uh, when when I started painting really seriously, I, is is was my senior year in college, and and I went to Berkeley, and there was an art store right up like on the way to where I lived, and I used to always walk in there, and I, I used to buy co- a color and then put it in my backpack because I just wanted to have the color you know, of oil paint, but I was like afraid to use, I started with acrylics because I thought, oh, well, oil and, you know, involves solvent. So finally I, you know, started painting and I knew, and it's like so many stories that you hear like Kandinsky or Matisse, you know, where they just start and they think the minute they do it, they know that this is what they're going to be doing for the rest of their lives, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, but the next you know, I just was always paint, uh, taught to paint by sloshing a bunch of turpentine on a canvas. And I was always frustrated with the way information about oil painting, like the, the, the materials of it was presented. You have like the six pages in Ralph Mayer's The Artist's Handbook. You have, you know, just a sort of an odd patchwork quilt of information that's very idiosyncratic. Like there's no, so there's no little black book that's just for oil painting. Mm-hmm. So that's the book that I sought to write, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's called the new oil painting and it's coming out May 18th with um, Chronicle books. Right. And I saw something in the book where it was like, you were isolating the colors to the different regions that they sort of come from. Is that what it Yeah. Was? I have a whole juicy section on pigments, you know? I mean, the, what what I just found interesting is like for so many years, like 15 years, I didn't really know the difference or which one was organic and inorganic. Do you? Did you? An inorganic versus an organic pigment? Mm-hmm. I was more into like what was transparent and what was opaque. I didn't, I didn't really focus on the organic. Me system. too. But that's like most painters. And I feel like right. if you know, if you understand a little bit more about the history of where the pigment comes from, it makes you think, it makes you use it 
better, more precisely and differently. But I mean, I just think information is power. So it's, it's the book I wanted to, I wish Mm -hmm. I could have given that college student who was trying oil for the first time. That's the book I wrote. That's this, you know, this. And when is this book coming out? May 18th. May 18th. Yeah. It's Chronicle Books. It'll be in all the, anywhere books are sold. Fantastic. Yeah. I'll definitely love to read that. I'll send you a copy. That would be, that would be fantastic. Yeah. I'm back into a mode where I'm interested in learning more about painting after spending many years. It's like, you know, I, everything I make is pretty well like shown or sold or something or published or whatever it is. So it's like you forget about the process of, of learning more about painting. I think sometimes just learning more about painting can like sort of start a new series of work. A hundred percent. One of my favorite books is uh, about painting is called What Painting Is by James Elkins. And he, he talks about it in terms of alchemy and how it's a, it's connection with painting because, you know, when they were, there's so many, there's so many connections with sort of trying to find the, what was it? You start with the materia rasa, you know, that kind of like you created these poke. Can you imagine 400 around the same time that painting was invented? You had these scientists creating these concoctions in order to try to find the, um, the, what was the name of the, uh, what they're trying to find with, um, alchemy they're trying to find like the fountain of youth or something like that uh-huh. and uh but they're mixing things together and painters are doing the, the same thing you know we're just kind of like you, you don't start with a white background you have to mm-hmm. kind of create a primordial oozy mess first and then you kind of pull and tug things out of it sounds like archaeology or something yeah yeah it's a you know i i like in painting to developing a film, I mean, developing, you know, in the olden days when you didn't have an iPhone and you would actually like put it in a tray, there's a connection with that where you're watching something emerge because, you know, long ago I left the, I, I really didn't never really had the idea with painting that it was something that was just came sprang from my head, like Zeus's Athena. It was more like, I started something and I had an idea, I have an Mm. idea of what it's going to be. And then it starts to emerge. And then I kind of have to react to it. And then it's this whole conversation and relationship. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a good one, sometimes a bad one, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's mellow and sometimes it's tempestuous, Mm -hmm. but painting is just a whole, I have, I have a whole relationship with each painting I make. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's interesting. Well, it's great to talk to you. I, I feel like it's, um, I always feel like it's an honor when people will spend their time and, and trust enough to record with somebody a conversation about this kind of uh, thing. So uh, I'm sure the listeners are honored that you've joined us. And um, uh, I would like to be in touch over the next few weeks about your book. I will happily supply you an advanced reader copy and I'm excited for that. And it's an honor to talk to you, Noah. Oh, thank you. Okay, well, we'll talk to you soon then. Thank you. Okay, take care. 
If you like White Hot Magazine, go to www.whitehotmagazine.com. I guess I could have just said whitehotmagazine.com. We're also on Instagram. I'm sure you're on Instagram. I have a Clubhouse account that I use from time to time to try and coerce NFT cryptocurrency art world people to buy my art on the blockchain. That kind of stuff. Have a lovely afternoon. This is Noah Becker, your host.